So I've been referring to energies, referring to deities, and uh, I'd like to add a little more to that, talk about karma. Mm. These actually are all interrelated. Karma was one of the Buddha's um, great realizations. The second realization of each night of awakening. There is there is such a thing as good and evil, and it leads to fortunate or unfortunate consequences. So we might associate good and evil being value judgments. But in Buddha Dharma, they're not, they can, you can use them like that, but they refer to particular energies have consequences. Mm. So, consequence of uh, hateful energy, and you feel that, and you wear witness to it. Consequence of hateful energy, what's the feeling of that? What's the effect of that on your heart? What's the effect of um, passion and greed on the heart? What's the effect of affection, Um, compassion, forgiveness on the heart? What's the effect of generosity on the heart? So this is just, you know. So we notice there are there are effects. Um, What are these effects? How do we know that? What is this actual quality of effect? It's energetic. And the effect of it, it shapes. It shapes the heart. Heart becomes brittle. Heart becomes heavy, hard. Heart becomes broad and expansive. Heart becomes soft and malleable. Heart becomes rigid, stirred, broken-hearted, shattered. These are not uncommon experiences barely referred to or referred to some of the just their metaphors. Um, they're not metaphors. Well, <laughs> everything's all language is a metaphor in a way. Referring to particular palpable qualities that because they don't come as sensations, you know, the physical anatomy doesn't get that much change to it. So we assume when we're just ideas that was bad, you're a bad person or you'll get punished. No, no, they're not that. They're actual energies that you can feel the results of them happening on your heart or your chitta. And it's when we are truly generous and giving, heart feels pretty open and broad, defensive, heart closes, frightened, heart closes, angry, heart gets intense, and so forth. Um, This is a very good check and to actually enter the territory of the heart at all is what the Buddha gave the graduated teachings you know begin with generosity move on to morality he didn't say form a view of the universe uh, tell me about ultimate truth tell me about the nature of ultimate reality just go up in your head no he said actually feel something that you know and know where to look because that's that that's what gets liberated. 
Um, so generosity in all respects, the giving heart, the heart that gives goodwill, the heart allows the heart that shelters. Mm-hmm. Right? And uh, how does that feel? If we give, you know, food to a dog. <laughs> so, you know, just that quality. Now, you also, so that heart changes its shape. And how it can do that is because there's an energy there that does it. <laughs> so, I mean, it sounds, may sound strange because we talk about something that we can't physically see with our eyes, the material sense world, but on the energetic realm, as you get more used to it, it's very apparent. You all know that. Perhaps it hasn't really considered it that much. When you feel love or loved, truly respected, heart opens. So this is the consequence of skillful energy that's happened. This movement of energy um, comes under the heading of Sankara. Sankara is a conditioning force. And you see this word translated many different ways in people try to handle something that's not of the common parlance. It's actually a very common experience. Very common, it's a very common experience, and clearly, those people that told the Buddha they knew this one, as we all do, but they managed to get a word for it. Uh, they call it sankara. Kara is doing, sung is that which kind of forms a doingness. So it's, it's the impulse energy, it forms us, it forms the shape of our heart mm-hmm. any particular time. Yeah. And it also runs through the body. So when we feel uh, loved and warm, the body softens, relaxes, and feels kind of nice energies or agreeable energies. Feel frightened and nervous, the body freezes and hardens to defend itself. So there's kaya sankara. Body is energetically formed. Jitta sankara, the heart is energetically formed and shaped. Then there's one more. Vajji Sankara, which shapes the words we use, shapes the we, words we think. Mm. So this is dependent upon, you know, mm. conditioning. Mm. Most of this is extremely powerful, dominant stuff that you use to speak. It's often the transmitter of heart energies. So if I'm in an angry state, it formulates words that shoot out, start stabbing people, or it formulates thoughts that start stabbing inwardly. Mm-hmm. So dependent upon the heart formation, the verbal formation follows through, and then we create karma, and we spread it. So my, the individual karma, which is just what I'm feeling, becomes collective karma. I shoot it out of my mouth, and so and so gets a hit, so they feel a bit taken back, so they, whoops, shut down, or they rage back, and suddenly we've got a bit of collective karma. Mm-hmm. And as people are doing this, the whole field of the people involved with that begins to shake and form. 
into whose side are we on or what do we about this as an alarm signal and then of course with that sense of everything closing as we defend ourselves the collective field breaks fragments into individuals or little subgroups us three against those guys cracking splitting open very common and um, so this disharmony dysfunction cracking up and so my thought and speech is very potent not just speech but thought and of course media now we've got this called verbal formation vajji sankara vajji sankara on steroids because it's not just somebody speaking it's tweeting twittering tweeting news broadcast 600 channels a day pumping out verbiage that stirs the heart and quite a lot of it is extremely divisive yeah. or polarizing us group against that group mm. whatever religious groups national groups ethnic groups have you want to form it so this then divides division then of course comes into conflict of some kind or another either the an armed conflict guns and weapons or the basic low-level conflict of removing people's rights or inequality whereby you're kind of creating a silent war or a silent conflict within the society the haves and the have-nots so you know this is part of human history history presents how you know a certain elite percentage basically would imprison um, torture um, even send people off to other countries in 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 slave in convict ships because they were poor so the, the wealthy is always kind of waged a kind of war upon the poor occasionally the poor would fight back and there'd be some kind of sometimes there'd be a bit of a shift or a change um and this goes on doesn't it you know and uh through that you know what justifies it the verbal karma says oh they're they're violent they're unruly they're uneducated they're literate they're lesser than me they're stupid they're poor they're criminal rowdy mob get rid of them mm-hmm. so the verbal calm you know the, the silent war that goes on um pretty much a lot of the time and of course different countries have their different battlefields you know over diversity over you know sexual orientation around race around wearing a mask (laughs) around politics you know (laughs) wow i mean you know because it's almost become established this kind of process of, of antagonizing and taking a stand has become so normalized that it happens as a kind of fundamental energy or a fundamental way of being in the world is to compare and dismiss others as a you know, you know, 
and you know, you've got slavery and genocide in in America, but it's not the only place. You know, it's more obvious in that country, but you know, it's it's the it's the domination paradigm which um, affects human beings, and certainly, you know, Britain, Europe, been massive, massive commitment to that paradigm and conquering and beating up and enslaving huge areas of the rest of the human population. Could call it bad karma. Uh, and the results, you know, fragmented societies and then naturally trauma. You know, as if you you start verbally abusing people, then they're shocked and there's a traumatic effect, then you will lose their stability, lose their trust, lose their warmth and become somewhat shut down. And you know what has to happen out of that. And so what often happens out of that is some kind of criminality or addiction or you know, or just or just heaviness, like a kind of defeated state. People can't feel free and joyful anymore. So a reduction of their heart capacities can occur. It's amazing how resilient human beings are to somehow come out of that mess of of what goes on. <laughs> we, you know, it's amazing that, that that people do. And so, although say the Buddha does teach suffering and stress and negative karma, it's it's remarkable how people can come through that. You know, the force of good is actually a, a stronger force because it embraces and heals and people want to feel healed. They don't want to be fragmented and broken up. Their hearts don't want to be tightened and screwed up and messed up. So this basic sense of, you know, if you want to, you know, come out of your own pain, misery, you've got to start getting your energies right and uh, and generate some goodwill, you know, or all this non-ill will, put aside ill will, which is the fundamental precept. It's not about being wonderfully affectionate. It's just about not letting the rancor activate into verbal actions, karma. And of course, we can do good karma. We can look after our children, our friends, our babies, you know, and we can look after other people, and there's a joy in it. So the joy is very um, infectious. So just as bad karma can spread through the shock waves running across the human field, so good karma can spread like a suffusive mist, you know, or something like a light that spreads across the field, and you know, human beings by and large if they feel that, would incline towards the good because it's much more healthy and nourishing and the heart is restored to a healthier state of being. So there's no, you know, there's no kind of fixed judgment. It's just the Buddha's teaching about these energies. Now, if we look in some of these quotes I've put together, you'll see 
14, 15, 16. Let's start at the bottom. Some person generates afflictive bodily sankara, afflictive verbal sankara, and afflictive mental sankara. In consequence, one is born, reborn in an afflictive world. When one is born in an afflictive world, afflictive contacts touch one. Being touched by afflictive contacts, one feels afflictive feelings exclusively painful. And Gutra Nikaya 3.23. What does this mean? <laughs> well, the translators obviously tried to do best they could with that. But, um, bodily Sankara is Kaya Sankara. Get back to the Pali. Verbal Sankara, Vajji Sankara. Mental Sankara is Jitta Sankara. And I will take a little issue with that translation. I find that heart is better than mental in this context. Mental so often takes us to the cognitive, rational aspect, and heart is not of that nature. It's the emotive, affective, sensitive, loving, hating, fearing, rejoicing aspect of our being. Mm. So then this is what I'm talking about, afflictive kaya sankara. What does that mean? It means your body energy is all snarled up with tension and repressed rage or non-repressed rage. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's being generated. Afflictive verbal sankara, it's starting to come into your thinking. Thinking's taken over all this kind of poisonous thoughts of they are this and she's that and they're one of those and they don't deserve and you know, blaming, judging, condemning. And then afflictive mental sankara, one feels aversion, one feels um, um, hatred, obviously, um, jealousy, um, even worry is considered afflictive because it doesn't make you feel good. So, you know, so this isn't like abstract judgment, it's just saying, what makes you feel good? <laughs> and, you know, does, does anger, it kind of makes you feel good if you felt like crushed and it causes you to feel that temporary relief from being crushed or, or flooded or overwhelmed. But basically, you don't want to be angry as a state of being. So it's not, you know, you, you burn out. You burn out in that kind of state. So one is reborn in an afflictive world. What does that mean? Well, again, the person's using reborn, but I think it actually just means born in a sense. We're talking not just about the future, but but when you open your eyes from the place of hatred, you see people you dislike. You see people who disgust you or stupid or fear them. So you see them with an eye that's saturated in ill will and it feels real to you. You feel they really are there. You know, we do it the enemy, you know. And so this is happening all the time, isn't it? Um, you know, 
was going to be this time around. I mean, Hitler had a Jew in his mind. So a Jew is this disgusting vampire who sucked the true life force out of the out of the Aryan people. For him, that was a that was a reality. So his heart was caught by that demon. Therefore, when he looked around, that's what he saw. And therefore, seeing like that, then this is some kind of vermin. You want to get rid of them. Unlogical. And um, Hitler was quite a religious person in his own way. He had all kind. He had belief in all kinds of Nordic and werewolves and stuff like that of occult nature. Yeah. So you can you can assemble a kind of reality that is hostile or contaminated. So as we see often like with racism, for example, people see, you know, colored people are somehow, you know, mistrustful, thieves, liars, depraved, um, stupid, or something like that, or tints of that, you know, and therefore fear and hostility arises. So you, you generate an afflictive world. That's pretty afflictive, as you can see in those cases. Afflictive contacts touch you. This means your heart. It doesn't mean necessarily poked on your skin, but a contact in Buddhism is that which touches your heart. And why does it touch your heart? Because your heart goes to those places yeah, where this world is being generated. So, you, oh, there they are. And so you see this kind of... And therefore you're feeling there's evil people here or bad people here and that's touching your heart and you feel better do something about it. Witch hunts, for example, they, what was it, 200,000, 200,000 women burnt to death in Europe over a period of a couple of hundred years, I think. They were seen as evil Satan worshippers. Uh-huh. Devil to be feared and all kinds of stories are made up about them they are probably you know women who might have been a bit of herbal knowledge or just sometimes people would call somebody a witch because they didn't like them so that became the reality this projection of uh, negative projection onto the world you generate a world where you see these suspicious people evil people Being touched by this one feels afflictive feelings, exclusively painful. Mm. Now, of course, so the result of that is you're not, <laughs> you know, and then you want to get rid of the pain by getting rid of those, what we think is the source of the pain, which is the things we've excluded. So you see, that's, that's, that's the projection experience. 
Now, if we look at the quote immediately above that, this adds another twist to it. The Buddha is talking to his disciple, Ananda, either on one's own initiative or prompted by others, one generates that bodily, verbal, heart, sankara, conditioned by which pleasure and pain arise internally, either deliberately or undeliberately. One generates that. This is interesting because we always assume that, you know, uh, that, that it's all my fault. Um, but there's such a thing as collective karma, whereby we sleepwalk into the views of the crowd. So we adopt those attitudes. We adopt those belief systems. We adopt those hostilities. We adopt those divisions as necessary, right, pure, able to keep us safe. We adopt them and we follow along with it. We didn't necessarily think it as us, we just believed it. Mm. Yeah. Therefore, same process occurs. We've all decided, you know, the politician says, oh, you know, our enemies are the Bulgarians or something. Yeah, they eat babies and they da, 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 da. And all, yeah, we hate Bulgarians. <laughs> They're funny looking people with, you know, whatever, I'm fantasizing now, but because it's the truth of the matter is just too painful, really, to talk about. Yeah. The duping and the way that we can get walked into unfortunate deeds. So, of course, it's always been the case that throughout history, people have been enrolled in military affairs, killing people they don't even know. They've got no problem with, personally. So, in some way, you, you did it. You, you pulled the trigger. But there was no because of being prompted by another. The karmic consequences, the collective karmic consequences of this activity going on and on and on. And as we realize over time, people began to actually investigate what happens to these soldiers. They, they, they're shell-shocked. They're physically damaged, they're psychologically damaged, they're traumatized. So they live in a world in which they hear a loud bang and they hit the floor. They have to drink or drink drugs or some of them just kill themselves. Prompted by others. So that's pretty grisly, isn't it? But then this also happens, say what we call trauma experiences whereby you know you were abandoned sometimes it's just an accident you know just had an accident and uh, the body tightens up shock feels isolated and can retain that shock this is because basic medium if you like of calm is is energy so it's like your energy, when you're breathing out, you can notice what it does. It, it rises up and then it releases, right? Energy's got this phase to it. It rouses, arouses itself, and then it relaxes itself. And then it arouses itself. It's 
pretty simple system. It rouses and it releases. Now, that can, of course, be very fast if we're extremely aroused and impassioned. It rises right up. Hmm? So, for example, in shock conditions, then it rises up. Now, if that shock is such that we go out of our bodies, which people do, we lose the ability to release it. Because it's the body that releases energy. Just like the body breathes out, the body knows how to relax. And then the energy, of course, we sort of, but we're kind of, you know, eventually come back to equilibrium again. That's the way it is. That's what happens to animals in the wild. See some lion chasing you and you run like crazy. And, uh, yeah, and then the lion gives up and come back again, slows down again, energy stabilizes again. Human beings, if you go out of your body, it's not necessarily the case you can just come in completely, particularly if there's association of shame, unwelcome, so, you know, whereby it's not safe to be here anymore. So this is particularly the case in terms of, say, you know, lots of abuse in a, in a, in a family or in a, in a society whereby you're kind of always sort of, and, and you never get a chance to really release because it's not safe. You've got to be safe to be able to release, to let go. You've got to be welcomed back into your body. Now, there's also things whereby people feel like, for example, um, sexual abuse, whereby it's not safe to come back into your body because that's what got you abused. So you go out and you come back into a very restricted body. You've got to come back into your body in some respect. You're not out in astral plane, but you come back in a rather narrow body because it's not safe to come into the full body. The body knows it's a, it's, it's a subject to abuse. So it, it adapts a defense pattern. The result of this is, is the numbing out effect. The numbing out. The body numbs out and the heart numbs out. So we get places we just go kind of don't feel anything at all. It's okay. With a vague sense of something wrong with me. Of guilt or shame. And emotions are capped. Uh, so that's not because of something you've done. It's something that happened to you. Not deliberately. But the result in the heart is I feel weird, I feel I don't feel very confident, something wrong with me. Um so you know anybody looking into these topics realize to get the heart to open up, you've got to go into the body. Um into the body and returning in the body in through some safe medium such as, you know, a trauma therapy or even, you know, lesser case, less intense cases, just your own body breathing and walking and opening and, you know, if it's less less intense, you can, and then what arises, you go, these very 
disturbing emotions may arise because the heart is coming back into its kind of wounded state and then you get sort of unpleasant emotions maybe negative emotions guilt rage fear and okay just let it be because now you you're in a safe container to let that stuff and then you you, you come back into full heart so what i'm saying is that this is not such a this procedure when particularly when the body sankara is closed it's very difficult for the heart to fully open up and if the body is opened the heart will open i don't i i hold the view you can't really open the heart until you open the body i mean you can have some openness let's not get ultimate about it but if the heart's not open it easily tends towards divisiveness which could be i'm inferior to everybody else i don't deserve i should do more than that because i'm unworthy this is not uncommon either somehow the 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 result comes back to the person the individual or it goes out to others but the more likely is it'll go back to the person because the sense is for the abused person is that you know if i i could change myself i can't change everybody else i could change so I, it must be my fault so i'll i'll try and be nice so they won't they won't do nasty things to me i'll be good so this can act then as a sort of a you know a fake goodness a, a polite goodness you know a goodness that's not actually coming from an open heart but from a, a convicted you are bad and of course religions can very much encourage this <laughs> yeah and it makes you wonder doesn't it so this ex- expanding or opening of the heart is an energetic opening so before we can feel nice warm emotions we have to feel some of these energies which may be a bit tangled up and get a safe space around that for that to gently open and so how do we do that we call it meditating yeah now it may be we may very have the idea that to meditate means to make my mind calm and behave itself that may come around in due course of time but uh doing what this process is about in you know embodiment and being with those energies then the first thing you've got to do is to be able to find safe ground you know fundamentally what we call self-acceptance you know I mean, that's the catchword for it isn't it or non-aversion or openness to allow things to shift and feel them on an energetic level the point being if you just go back to the topics all the time you know um, wherever they may be he was this he was that i am this i am that then you kind of keep recycling the same drama and it doesn't it doesn't empty because you keep putting the same perceptual pieces back to trigger those responses because sankaras are, are triggered by perceptions perceptions of being liked disliked stupid wonderful whatever right so if you keep going back to those those same stories then you get basically the same energies get shifted around and we can spend quite a bit of time so-called meditating just basically recycling or even retry 
advertising our old patterns. But the idea is you go to the energy of it, then the energy can be felt in the body and you can also feel in the body there's the ground, and there's the space and there's the ability to breathe out and there's the ability to actually enter a little bit my abdomen, my out-breath, take it easy. So you're beginning to soothe the kaya sankara. And there it is. You look in Anapanasati Sutta, it says, thoroughly experiencing the entire body, thoroughly sensitive to the entire body. And then, pasambayam kaya sankara, soothing kaya sankara, soothing the bodily conditioning force, formation, energy. Stage one, or main entry. Soothing that, experience one of uplift space lift rapture something lifting buoyancy heart feels that because the Kaya has been able to soothe to discharge some of these effects and this doesn't necessarily like experiencing heavy effects but but in a, in a collective field there's a lot of negative stuff around that, that we are affected by and particularly with media saturation and propaganda, politicizing. So you know, Buddha says, you know, you have to be careful what you give attention to. And you give attention to certain things, you can end up, you know, generating unskillful sankharas. This is for your welfare. It's not a, a censorship job. It's about looking after yourself. And so do give attention to qualities, incidents, scenarios, whereby one feels a sense of the blessedness of the conditioned realm. Blessedness of the giving, the charitable, the loving, those energies. And these, <laughs> this is where the gods arise. <laughs> when their heart is very expanded and open to the collective, we get the sense of, you know, the beauty of the cosmos. And, and this is where you get, this. in the Buddhist perspective, in the Indian perspective, these are these positive energetic forms that we experience through our heart relate to these various levels of celestials. And they say the two main entry points are either through the field of the Brahma Vihara, which is goodwill, compassion, appreciative joy or equanimity or through jhana that is deep energetic deeply soothing and steadying the energetic formations in the body so both those energetic pathways lead to this celestial domain and you know you can just put that on a shelf somewhere because if we still think celestial is a guy sitting on couches or with beers or wings on their backs or playing harps I think that's the way they're configured <laughs> you know if you're looking at imagery but uh, I don't think that's the, that's just the configuration and you notice of course 
in a, in a Aryan culture, it's, it's pretty void of judgment. You know, there are plenty of gods. There's room for all of them. There's 33 gods in one domain alone. They don't have a problem with each other. And they're just one. There's 20 different levels of, of deities all just being blissful and celestial. They're all happy. There's not a single one of them condemning or cursing or damning anybody. <laughs> they're all just... So it's a very collective, diverse, open domain, you know. And that represents the territory, the true territory of the heart. It, it allows and rejoices diversity. Now, we've tended to come up through a monotheistic. The monotheistic comes from a traumatized people. People stuck in Egypt, then chucked out into the desert. Isn't that going to drive you a little bit, have effects on you? Taken off to Babylon, whole nation gets taken off. I mean, these are pretty massive collective wounds aren't they so you've got this kind of deity who's extremely exclusive i am the one and only if you don't believe in me you're going to hell right so that kind of sits somewhere in our psyche as this is what you know divine is it's the judge there's not a single deity in buddhist pantheon that judges anything they're all just having fun on different celestial levels. So it's a very different different quality. Yeah. Uh, and this is, these are say they, they arise because of good karma. Mm. But the Buddha himself doesn't recommend. He says, yeah, you can do that. You do enough good karma, your energetic your energetic experience, your energetic body, your energetic heart, the energies that will definitely open arise to that to into that experience you know brahma realm vast boundless measureless space you know you'll be there i don't think there's some guy there sitting up there it's just some vast measureless open space so you're there in this kind of blissful state you can do that he says but that that's okay but it's going to change because karma the energy of it eventually just gets used up so, yeah, it's good for healing. It's good for cleaning and healing. And, you know, it's good for that. Sacred cosmos, if you like. And all the energies and the actions that support that. And so the main point is get it good enough so that you can be Buddha, awakened within it. You're no longer just bound up into reactivity and bouncing around defending yourself, worrying about yourself, creating yourself in this tight state, yeah, which is the result of afflictive karma. We tighten up, loosen up, you're no longer in that afflictive state. Then you can see things with a little more clarity and you see all these forms, all these conditions, they're conditioned, they're changeable, they're impermanent and they're not, they don't create fixed entities. I can just be this. The witness. And this is Buddha. You look in the suttas, you see Buddha's always wherever the, they always revere the Buddha because he's the one who's beyond it. And um, while we're in that territory, just give you the advice of the 
on these Brahma deities. Of course, in the suttas, suttas themselves are kind of confabulated. The Diganikaya suttas are short stories with lots of pantomime characters in them. You know, they're, they're homilies, they're morality plays, they're fables of that nature. So in this one, there's the great Brahma, some great Brahma or another, and he's talking to the gods of the 33. There's 33 of them sitting around in this big celestial meeting hall. And he says, I'll tell you how much the Buddha has understood the three opportunities for achieving happiness. Take someone who lives mixed up with sensual pleasures and unskillful qualities. After some time, they hear the teachings of the noble ones, properly attend to how it applies to them and practice accordingly. They live aloof from sense pleasures and unskillful qualities. This gives rise to pleasure. And more than pleasure, happiness, like the joy that's born from gladness. This is the first opportunity for achieving happiness. All the celestials are very, very interested in happiness. So it's what he's telling them. This is do this. This is what it leads to. This is the next situation. There's someone who's coarse physical, verbal and mental processes. So this is Sankara again. He's coarse physical Kaya Sankara's verbal and heart formations have not died down, they're aroused, they're active, and they're gross, you know, carnal. After some time they hear the teachings of the noble ones, and they cause physical and mental processes die down, they're allayed, they're mollified. That gives rise to pleasure, and more than pleasure, happiness like the joy that's born from gladness, the second occasion for happiness. Next, take someone who doesn't truly understand what is skillful and what is unskillful, what should and should not be cultivated, what is the side of dark, karma, negative, and what's the side of bright. After some time, they hear the teachings of the noble ones, so forth. They attend to what is skillful and what is unskillful. Therefore, knowing and seeing like this, ignorance is given up and knowledge, true knowledge, arises. That gives rise to pleasure, and more than pleasure, happiness, like the joy that's born from gladness. This is the third opportunity for achieving happiness. So here we have the three, you know, first topic is sila and restraint. Second topic is samadhi. The topic is wisdom. And so cultivating these causes joy and gladness to arise. And of course, this happiness then is not me and mine. It's not associated with the constrictive energy, the divisive energy, the greed energy, the self-forming energy. It's associated with the Brahma quality of the heart, which is grand, spacious, all-encompassing, void of judgment. <laughs> and in that sense, we know, oh, that was unskillful. That was skillful. Therefore, oh, that's when I was unskillful. Oh, that's it. Got it. This is the skillful. So he's able to clearly steer oneself without... You idiot, you got it wrong. No, just there's this unskillful energy. Now I witness it and see it. I'm glad to see where the trap was. And now I know where it is, I'll avoid it. 
So this is the way that Buddha understands Buddhist understanding of good and evil. And so when we cultivate like that, with that in mind, we keep an eye on our awareness of our energies, body, heart, speech, knowing the potency of them, knowing that above all other aspects of our world, sights, sounds and touches, this is the one that really counts. And then this causes good good energies to sweep across personal domain, the interpersonal domain and the collective consciousness. Okay. So I'll take take a break for now. Thank you for listening. <laughs>